And um, a lot of reasons. It's, it's interesting that uh, the songs that, that Amy had chosen uh, before I made this change Saturday afternoon, it just fits perfectly with what I'm talking about today. And, uh, you know, isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> you know, God, God is so in tune to what we need uh, before sometimes we're in tune to what we need. And so we're going to talk about faith and shaky faith and shaken faith today. Has your faith ever been shaken? <laughs> um, it's been a hard week. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, and, and I don't know where I shared this, I think I may have shared this on Wednesday night, I have a dream job. And everybody says, amen. All I do is work one day a week, right? <laughs> you know, by noon, I'm done. And, and, and it is, it's a great job. I'm, I'm not going to lie, I love my job. It's a, it's a, you know, you get a, you get a speak. I, Judah Smith, I heard one time say, you know, we talk about the, the, the gift of speaking. He says, it may just be that I like to talk. <laughs> and God uses me in that. But, you know, th- th- this is, I enjoy this. Almost every Sunday, I, you know, I anticipate and I'm, I'm excited about getting up and sharing what God has laid on my heart. I, you know, you know I, I get to go visit people. And, 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 and most of the time, almost all the time, that's, you know, you know, go sit and just talk to people. That's my job. You know, I get to hang around you folks and, and, and dream and, and vision cast. It's a dream job. I love it. But then there's weeks and that there's things you have to do that create the burden of pastry. The calls you get, uh, the visits that you make, the funerals that you do. Um, week after week. And it's non- Pretty much every week, there's something that you're carrying for other people. And that creates the burden of pastoring. Uh, it's, Bob, you, you know what I'm talking about. I love my job, and, and, and I'm, not, I, I'm not complaining, but, but I just want you to be aware that even pastors, even pastors go through weeks where it's easier <laughs> and weeks where it's more difficult. Sometimes even this pastor's faith is shaken. And many of you are the same way. You've been through times in your life where faith is easy, (laughs) where faith is clear and faith is clean and faith is not hard at all. And then there's times when your faith may be a little bit shaken. And and mentally, you know all the right things to say and all the right things to do. And it's not that you've let go of God, but, but those things that you mentally ascribe to, those things that you mentally accept, are not as readily accepted in your heart. Amen? Am I the only one that feels like that? There's that mental faith that you're holding on. But in your heart, if you were honest, you'd say, God, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, I'm struggling here. Um, unfulfilled expectations, unforeseen um, circumstances, cruel and evil conduct. <laughs> you know, suffering and evil in the world is the oldest question we have, right? Why is there so much suffering and evil in the face of this loving, compassionate, present God? Why do we suffer so much? Evil and suffering was one of the earliest human questions addressed in the Bible. The book of Job 
is, is probably the earliest written word of God, the earliest written book. And this is the subject of Job. Why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Is it because of something we've done? I got, I got to tell you, as a pastor and a theologian, I've come to the conclusion... And, 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 and maybe, you know, even in this congregation, maybe you're more Calvinistic in your leanings. If it weren't for free will and the understanding that pain and suffering is caused by free will and free will is an extension of God's love, it would be very difficult for me to understand the pain and suffering we see in this world. That's just me. Uh, there, there, there's other people that, that see it differently. But in my theological slant, the only way I can live in the midst of this world with the pain and suffering is to acknowledge that God has given us free will. And the pain and the suffering that we experience is not the will of God for the people of God, but the pain and suffering we experience is because free will is exercised and it's an extension of God's love. Objectively, we get it. <laughs> well, we understand the reason there's pain and suffering. We, we can theologically put it together most of the time. You know, that, that, that objective part of our minds that, that, can, that can lay out arguments, we can, we can see things and we can say, okay, I understand. Although I do believe in the church, we've got to be careful the language we use. And, and maybe you think... I, I just saw an article, Kirk Cameron said, the hurricanes are God's judgment on America. Maybe that's right, but I think we need to be careful when we use that kind of language because those hurricanes are not just affecting sinners, lost people, but it's affecting churches and good people and innocent people. And when we use that kind of language, we perpetuate this notion that God is vindictive and cruel. I understand what he's saying, but sometimes the way we say things. I, I know a person, it's a, it's a good person. <laughs> a really, really good person, and something very awful happened in their life. And they were doing something tremendous for God in, in, in the meantime. And his understanding is, well, this was part of spiritual warfare, and, and God allowed this to happen because I was doing this. And so there's this connection between what he was doing that was so tremendous for God and this awful, awful thing. And I got to tell you, in my heart, I'm thinking, why would God do that? Anybody ever asked questions like that before? C.S. Lewis writes a book called The Problem with Pain. We've talked about that. The Problem with Pain, C.S. Lewis very objectively gives all these reasons for pain and suffering in the world. That, that we understand. It's the result of free choice. It's the result of free will. And he's very objective and he lays these things out. And, he's, and, and then he writes a book later on when he's going through suffering called A Grief Observed. <laughs> and all that objective understanding that, that C.S. Lewis had 
kind of went out the door <laughs> when it was subjective. And that's the way it is. Objectively, I believe almost everybody in this room would say, I understand. But when you're in the midst of it, when you're going through it, it's a lot more difficult to understand in our heart. And that's why, you know, this is, this is why as a pastor I'm, I'm very careful in counseling to try to over, uh, be overly objective. <laughs> but, but sometimes what people need more than anybody, anything, is somebody just to be present and to cry with them. Even though objectively, maybe you're not in the midst of the storm, and objectively you can see all the reasons, and objectively you can understand that there's this God with this plan that can work things out. I'll never forget, it's been many years ago, but my, my, my good friend Scott died, and Scott was, um, I don't know how old Scott was, but he, he was in his late 20s, early 30s, and he had three little kids. Um, one was under two, and uh, we, you know, you know, I was mourning my my friend's death, and I went to a Sunday school class, and, and some well-intended person said, "Well, you know, God's got this all under control, and God is good, and God's got a plan." And I can remember my comment to him was, "Well, what about his kids?" <laughs> and, and he was right. But we have to be careful in those times, folks, because there's that subjective part of people that need to grieve and work through these things. When faith is shaken, it's important to explore where faith is based. John 6 is this, you know, Jesus is talking and and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's becoming, you know, he's moving from just doing miracles to laying heavy burdens on, on the people. The, what, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is not just free bread and free food. <laughs> to, to be a follower of Jesus is not just having every miracle that you want. To follow Jesus is not this vending machine God where you push a button and you get everything you want. As a matter of fact, Jesus begins to use phrases like, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Whoever will eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> and before we get too, um, too critical of those Jewish people that, that had trouble with that, you would have had trouble with it if that's not what you would have known. We, we, we've, we've been brought up with that understanding. They hadn't. And so they begin to abandon Jesus. And I got to tell you, when I think about what Jesus is claiming, if Jesus were claiming those and there's no death and no resurrection, I'm not sure I could have accepted it. Just being honest. See, the resurrection changes everything for me. The resurrection validates who He is. And so people begin to abandon the faith and Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, um, you going to leave me too? <laughs> John 6, 68-69 says, Simon, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Our faith is found in the person of Jesus. Not in our understanding, not in our feelings, not not in any theological constructs or doctrines. Our faith is found solely, surely, only in Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, this this sermon's part apologetic, I guess. Uh, This is an apologetic sermon in the extent that I'm kind of opening you, showing you the the process your pastor goes through when when my my faith is shaky. You know, I I look around and and to me, there has to be meaning, right? 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 And I look around and I see all these things. And as, as, as we went through this week, yesterday we, we buried little Oliver. Otto's in the hospital still struggling. Uh, you know, and, and that, that's just the real visible thing. You know, there, there's other things that I'm aware of that, that maybe you're not that I'm struggling with. And I look at all these things, and I, where, where can meaning be found? And you know what? This week I came to the point where I just looked at Jesus, and Jesus was it. There was nothing else. And to be honest, there's things I don't understand, but what I do understand is Jesus. There's answers I don't have. There's things that I don't understand. But I see Jesus, and I I see what he did on a cross, and I see the resurrection, and I say this is the only way anything makes sense. Jesus is the subject, the reason, the personality of our faith. (laughs) You know, we have minds for a reason. But where understanding ends, stands Jesus. When we get to the point that we can't figure it out, that we can't reason it out, that we can't rationalize, that we can't understand, when we get to the point, when we get to the end of ourself, there's Jesus. And that is the significance of a worship service. I believe everything we do in this service are meant to be habits. They're meant to be habits that work in their way into our week-to-week activities. In other words, we should be people of praise. We should be people of hospitality. We, sh- we should be people who center our life around God's Word. We should be people that, that give thanksgiving. We should be people that bring our requests to God. And all these things, all that we do in the services are designed to create those habits in your life. But those habits aren't the point. The point is Jesus and finding yourself in the presence of Jesus Christ. I appreciate our Wesleyan understanding of services, our Wesleyan understanding of the purpose of a worship service is we have gathered and we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus and in the presence of Jesus there is transformation. Jesus 
is here. Jesus is here. What we've gathered here, and there is the unseen presence of Jesus. And in that presence, despair can be transformed to hope. Sorrow can be transformed to gladness and joy. I don't know how, but Jesus can do that. In Hebrews, the writer writes in chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Some of you are dealing with hurt. You're dealing with things that you're going through and you really don't understand. Some, some of you have begun to lose hope because of circumstances. You know, there's many things that, that, that we see in our life. Maybe there's anger, bitterness, Maybe you've withdrawn from the people of God or from God Himself. Maybe you feel worn down. Maybe you're just guarded. This morning is a very simple invitation. See Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to ask Amy to come or somebody, James, somebody, Amy's not in here. That's okay. We don't need music. We're okay. Can we do this without music, folks? Yes. Our altars are available. And I know this is a short sermon. Praise the Lord every once in a while for a short sermon, right? Because it's not about the sermon. It's about Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you need to come to an altar. Maybe you just need to pray in your pews. Maybe you're praying for somebody else. I need prayer. <laughs> I need to pray at the altar. And so uh, altars are available. And then after a few minutes, Bob, I want you to come and just close us in prayer this morning.